Hi, this is Peter Francho, your state comptroller in Maryland. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast, another episode here after dark with Michael Sanderson. It is Thursday, March 4th. Michael, I don't know about you. I am physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. I think the past week, a lot was going on, and I think a lot of people around town would agree with me. You just sort of feel drained uh, at this point, and, and I guess it's about time for that, and even more so, I think, with this virtual session. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, leading up to this, uh, I didn't even have the energy to get myself uh, tuned up in the after dark tradition. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm with you. It's, it's been a difficult week on a lot of fronts. Um, a lot of work getting done around Annapolis. And maybe it's kind of worth talk, worth talking about things coming together. You know, in, in the usual. You know, ninety-day process. Uh, we're we're past the halfway point, but I, I don't know. Yeah, this was this was this was a tough week in a, in a lot of ways. These have been long days. They absolutely have been, and so we'll get into what's going on and and preview the process ahead, and then also we're going to get into another topic that I think is very interesting. We'll talk about counties, municipalities, the process for incorporation. We'll walk through some nuts and bolts stuff there, but yes, Michael. So we're getting to the point now where. As you mentioned, a lot of work is getting done. Long committee hearings followed by long voting sessions. We know there are restrictions on the the time that they can spend on the floor. They're they're maximizing those restrictions two hours at a time and then they go Mm -hmm. off and then some days they're coming back again. But this is when things are really starting to ramp up, right? Like this is when stuff starts to move. Right. So, I mean, just in an ordinary legislative session, we just rounded the corner last week through the halfway point. So the 90-day session, we're in day 50, I don't know what it is, 52 or that, you know, 52, 53, something like that. So we're, we're winding our way past halfway towards two-thirds and some deadlines are coming. I like maybe, maybe we don't want to get too deep in. Maybe that maybe that's actually worth a segment like next week. We get to get our notes mm-hmm. together and we walk through with a refresher on things like the crossover process and getting things ready in time for. Yeah, we should probably do that. Do that in the next episode. Get into the nuts and bolts of the session schedule. But suffice it to say, for now. Uh, that each committee, most of the work gets done in the legislative committees. Bills are introduced and sent to a policy committee who focuses on those areas, and they have the public hearings, and they're the ones who generate, okay, we're ready to send this bill back to the floor of the House or to the Senate. These are the amendments we think that put the bill in the best position, but all that work is sort of coming to a head over these next couple of weeks, and it's, you know, these are longer days. Now there's more work to be done on the floor. Like you said, the 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 safety concerns on the floor of the House and the Senate are making it 
um, more difficult for them to spend hour after hour on the floor. So they got to get the biggest bang for their buck. And that means trying to get through an awful lot in just a two hour window. It's, I don't know. It's, I'm sure it has been laborious for legislators, just like it is for stakeholders. So this is a tough time of year anyway. It feels a little extra so because of all the precautions and the, the remote stuff just is mentally taxing too, I think. Yeah, I think everybody feels that way. And, you know, you mentioned the committees and that's where all the work gets done. Multiple committees. I mean, Michael, they've been in very, very late at night. And again, the yeah. virtual stuff is draining. We're also seeing the subcommittees meeting more and more. You know, they sort of parse through bills and work them before they come back to the full committee. So the full committee could consider whether or not to send it to the floor. So that is going on as well. These legislators, I mean, they're doing floor and then subcommittee. And then you can see like they're trying to eat on the fly because they know they have a long committee day ahead of them. So we'll talk more next week. Yeah, about the process ahead. But it it generally, though, things are moving very, very quickly, Michael. And uh, again, every committee is in action almost every single day and their days are filled up. Yeah. And and they've had enough work to do during morning sessions when they, when they've been on the floor of the Senate or the House, that almost every one of those days you can count on the floor session running past noon or even past one. And then, you know, the committees who are, who are planning to have their bill hearing start at one o'clock or something like that, they, aren't, they end up standing up to make an announcement. Okay, it'll be whatever, you know, 2.15 because it's already 1.52 as we're wrapping up the business of, of the floor. So it's it's just you know it's sort of the nature of, of of where we are right now a lot 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 churning through um, you know you and I both have some experience working on fiscal issues we had mm-hmm. this week the hearings on the big budget reconciliation bill that to me that's always a a sign to the fiscal committees that all right it's time to start packaging the budget plan together you've you've been in subcommittees and breaking apart these. Know, agency by agency budgets. Now it's time to come together with what's the overall plan going to look like. What of what of the governor's proposals are we going to leave in? What things does the legislature want to make changes to, and so forth? And all the stakeholders have their thoughts about the budget and the reconciliation bill. So all, all those arrows are pointing in the direction of, yeah, we're we're past the halfway point in a in still weird session. There are a lot of a lot of where places where you know the the swallows are still coming home. So. Right. And yeah, the budget, particularly the House, is going to be very busy. The House is moving the budget this year. That means they'll move it first, then send it over to the Senate. The House also is going to be very busy, Michael. They're going to start hearing all of the police reform bills, you would think, pretty soon. So yeah. they are going to be on the floor a lot. Uh, again, the committees are going to have a lot of work to do, particularly for the budget. And of course, there are still bill hearings being scheduled. So they still have new bills to consider and a lot of complicated ones to work out. So again, this is this is going to be like you said, where the rubber meets the road. I think in terms of, you know, if you run a bill to start moving, this is about the time I think things start to kick into high gear. Right, and and honestly, as we talk about things that are different this year, um, so much work is being done remotely, and that's different. Another component is so many more things are being streamed over the internet for viewers to watch i think it may be turning some voting sessions into longer explanations and a little more walkthrough 
because there's there's an understanding that there may be you know dozens or who you know there may be maybe maybe a, a few dozen people who are sitting and watching the deliberations of your committee. So rather than being in super quick short, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that bill. Fine, I'm for that. Right. Instead right. of doing that, you might want to take two sentences and say, when I heard the testimony on the bill. I really thought this was what was most important, and that's why, you know, Madam Chair, I want to cast my vote in favor of this bill. I want to get this job done. But, you know, you, you do a little bit more explanation and so forth, and maybe maybe some of these things that might have taken six minutes turn into 16 that way. It happens. Right. Absolutely. I mean, definitely that you're seeing a lot of that. And maybe that's why the voting sessions are taking a really long time. Oftentimes lately, multiple days, they're not able to get through all the bills they want to vote. So they roll over to the next day and that just adds on to it. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the voting sessions are interesting in general because normally these are not live streamed and normally you wouldn't be able to get into every committee. Not every committee liked people coming into their voting sessions. Now right. we're spoiled, right? Moving forward, you know, we're going to be used to being able to watch those deliberations, those voting sessions. So, uh, you know, even though the buildings aren't open, it's interesting to have this ability yeah. because normally, again, you wouldn't be able to cover this many committees even to get in the room for some of them when they're voting. Yeah. So, you know, additional facets continue to develop of the session we knew was going to be the strangest session and it's definitely living up to that advanced billing this this has been strange for stakeholders strange for legislators and and i think for you know for just residents who want to participate in the process it's a different feel as well and in some in some cases uh, probably a lot more courteous uh, for people to not have to drive and wait a whole day and and that th sort of thing. But you also miss out on the, I don't know, more intimate one-to-one -one exchange that you can get in person that's really hard to do over technology. So, uh, you know, wins and losses on that front, but they're they're doing things to, to advance the right ideas of letting people participate and have the deliberations all be safe and secure. So you can't knock the leadership and the membership for taking this seriously and doing this the right way. Yeah, and I think we can put a pin in all of that because there'll be a lot to unwrap, I think, when you sort of are able to sit back after this session and think about all the different changes and, and how they play in moving forward. Michael, I want to get into another topic. Uh, you know, we saw a bill that has to do with municipal incorporation, and we started walking through the process, right? It's always good, I think, to to remember how all of this works. And so I want to get into that a little bit. I want to talk nuts and bolts yeah. stuff, counties, municipalities, how it all works. So, you know, first of all, again, there there's a bill. And I don't want to necessarily talk about the bill, but I just want to talk nuts and bolts. So first yeah. of all, why do we have municipalities? I mean, from a county perspective, most states, you know, we're different, right? We don't have as many. But from a county perspective, really, what's the difference between counties and municipalities? Right. So I guess, you know, this is uh, this could easily be like a doctoral thesis in political philosophy. Right. But. As, as a practical matter, um, Maryland has relatively large counties who provide primary services to 
everyone in the state. Everybody lives in a county, uh, assuming you include Baltimore City among the counties, which uh, for legal purposes we all do, and for MAKO purposes we certainly do. So everybody lives within a county, and most Marylanders get your sort of frontline services through the county. It's Either, you know, it's, it's probably the county government who does sort of planning and zoning and land use kind of stuff and permits and things like that. The, the sort of day-to-day local government, the way your community looks and feels is guided by the county government for the most part and, right. and the leaders at the county level. Um, your, your public safety services are more or less going to be delivered either by sheriffs and deputies or by a local police department. Uh, you might have a fire department that would probably be a county level. There might be a you know volunteer company that's that's a neighborhood level, but they would get support through your county commissioners. Uh, so right. in Maryland, county government really is the foundational level of local government. This varies. There are townships up in the Northeast, and there are lots of parts of the country where cities and towns are way closer to residents' hearts than are their counties. Uh, here, the counties are a relatively big deal. We, we do have, um, we are reminded by our, our friends in the Municipal League, 157 units of government who are incorporated municipalities. And basically, these are areas like Annapolis, uh, the county seat of Anne Arundel County, but also itself an incorporated city that has its own elected government and its own ability to raise taxes and deliver services for its own residents. So in essence, Annapolis is an easy to understand, you know, um, example of an incorporated city. Uh, It has its own boundaries. It does its own land use. It has its own police department. A lot of the services that would otherwise be provided by the county, if you don't live in town, they'd be provided through the municipal government. They've got a mayor, they've got a city council, and they have their own government structure to serve the the, the closer-to-home needs of Annapolis residents. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of the nutshell of how this works. Uh, for the most part, in areas where the municipal government provides a service or, or oversees a function, then the county doesn't do that within the municipal areas. So Annapolis has its own police department. The county police department in Anne Arundel wouldn't have primary service inside Annapolis. That would be Annapolis's job. So that's, I mean, that's that's sort of the, the quick nuts and bolts of the difference between county and municipal governments. But for a higher share of people in Maryland than in most states, it's the county that provides virtually all of those, you know, essential local government services. I, I should say there also are a number of things that the municipal governments don't do um, mm-hmm. at the county level. Here, your health department is is run in coordination with the the county. Your library and community college are are county level entities, and most notably, and the biggest share of the county budget are boards of education instead of having each town or each high school has its own school board and school system, we have school boards and school budgets at the countywide level. So 24 school jurisdictions in Maryland, that's also a little unusual. Right. And, you know, I think it's a great walkthrough, but really the legislation that we're talking about, it has to do with, 
you know, you, you mentioned there are 157 municipalities, there are 24 counties, and this bill has to do with if I want to become a municipality, Michael, if me and my neighbors and maybe some other folks in this general area say, you know what, we want to become a town. And, you know, as we go through all of this, the first my gut reaction is, who, who the heck cares whether or not I want to be a town with my friends and we'll do our own thing? What does it matter to anybody else? Why does anybody care? Just leave us alone. Let us do our thing. I, I think it's, it's a fair place to start the conversation. And, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, us walking through this as far as what, what Mako might want to say about such a bill. So, so first of all, um, so what if, if, if a few hundred people who live all next to one another or a big neighborhood or something like that decide, let's just draw a boundary around ourselves and we'll, we'll call ourselves the name of this town and we'll elect ourselves a mayor and a council and we'll have a local budget and we'll decide to do some services at a higher level. We'll, we'll raise some extra taxes and we'll use those taxes to pick up the trash more frequently than the county does, or we'll provide a greater layer of police protection or other things like that. I mean, those are, those are the kinds of motivations that tend to drive people to be interested in being in a municipality. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I want these higher level of services, and so I'm willing to, you know, to, to pay the municipal taxes to do that. Okay. Um, so interestingly enough i mean you start with you start with that idea that well if it's just among them if they want to pass that and tax themselves more to do more stuff fine okay right sounds reasonable right like if, if we want to do <laughs> sure. that if we if we're willing to pay the money and we want you know a higher level of service maybe then why do you care so so there's a couple things and and probably i think from a structure of government point of view that the biggest among them gets back to something I mentioned earlier, that if the municipality provides a service or a function, then the county doesn't do that within their area. So let's go back to something that a, a lot of people would consider the foundational job of local governments is to, to sort of help guide the contours of what your community looks and feels like. A lot of that is done with planning and zoning and land use that, you know, um, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I might want to put in a giant, you know, 285 unit residential development with all this kind of stuff. And you need to make the case. Does this fit with the character that this area has come up with through its master plan for zoning? And right. at the county level, the county thinks through where are the areas that make sense for us to have growth and development? And where are the places where it doesn't make sense to have that? Where are places we want to keep strictly residential and other places should be commercial or industrial? I mean, this is the this, this is the foundation level stuff of what we mean by doing a, a, a comprehensive plan or by doing local zoning is mm-hmm. you want to have a guide. You don't want to have development of all sorts completely coexisting in all parts of your jurisdiction, it's it's a woefully inefficient way to have growth and development. So have a plan in general. That's what we do in Maryland. However, if the county has a plan and that says, here's an area of the county that's not really where we think development makes sense, we would end up with yeah, we, we don't think we have the infrastructure. We don't think it would be sustainable to have a lot 
growth in that part of the county. We think this other part of the county is the place that if there are development pressures, let's try and point them in that direction. That's right. Like, or, that's or maybe smart we, growth. Right. Maybe we have ag preservation, right? We want to, we want to preserve some areas. We don't want growth. We, we'd rather it happen over here. That right. all makes sense at, from a planning perspective. Everybody's on the same page. And by the way, that's driven by public input. It's driven by taxpayer input. Everybody has input in this process. So now, Michael, we have the map. I get it. We've decided where we want growth, where we don't want growth, where we have the infrastructure to support it, where we don't. Now, I'm still, we still want my municipality, my friends and I, and we're in one of the areas that you've designated for growth. So I'm still okay, right? I mean, I'm not trying to go into your ag pres or I'm not trying to go where you think we shouldn't. So I still feel like I'm okay. So possibly. So it may be that there are different pockets around the county of residents who are thinking we might be interested in drawing a boundary and becoming our own town. Well, one of the advantages from, from you, know, you and your neighbors might like this idea of, well, we won't have to play ball under county zoning. That once we become our own city and we have our own staff to decide, we'll give out our permits and we'll do our own master plan, we can develop in the ways that we want to. Well, one of the things that happens from the county perspective is what about, so let's say you know the city now takes over. Yeah, we we form a new town, and they're going to do their own land use planning. What about services that the county still provides because they're non-municipal services? Schools are the obvious one. Uh, Mm. Lots of counties have growth limits, basically, that are connected right to the capacity of their public schools. We can't put in another 800 units in this part of the county because we don't have seats in the we don't have seats in the classrooms for the students who would come with those new houses. So Mm -hmm. until we've got, you know, an extra wing on the school or an extra school built in that area, we can't sustain that development in that part of the county. In a municipality, however, those county rules wouldn't necessarily apply. So suddenly it can be, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll grow, we'll develop, we'll do this, you know, this mixed use item and a bunch of extra residential within our, our municipal area, even if the county doesn't feel that they have the infrastructure to support it. So mm-hmm. now back to your original question of why would anybody else care? The person who lives a block away or a mile away from you and your friends one of the answers is you might end up approving a bunch of growth that is going to overrun the county schools with kids that we don't have the space for. Um, that's one of those sort of disconnects between municipal authority and county authority. I mean, it's not like it's not like Maryland is overrun with you know border wars like this. This isn't really a gigantic problem, but as a practical matter. That's sort of a foundational answer to why might other areas around the incorporated municipality, the would-be municipality, or other parts of the county, why why might those residents care? Because the growth pressures matter. It's extra traffic on the roads. It's maybe too many kids in the schools. It's more people than the health department can handle. Um, We get overrun at our community college or our libraries and so forth. That's one of those structure of government things. There's also some stuff that gets a little a little nerdy i mean mm. even maybe for well, our podcast i know you right. like it right <laughs> but well i mean in 
in Maryland, there's there's some fiscal issues too, which I, I'm not sure that they're insurmountable, but they're kind of weird incentives. Let me put it that way. So right, right. You so so an incorporated city gets a piece of your county income tax. So uh, if if you earn wages in Anne Arundel County and you live in Annapolis, basically a sixth of your county income tax gets sent to the city of Annapolis to help support their municipal services. And that's that's a right. long-standing law. Well, think that through for a moment. And what about if you had a few hundred people who lived in a neighborhood and felt like, you know what, I'm sick of paying my taxes to help other people. I like mining, mm-hmm. but I don't really want to be paying all these taxes to support countywide schools and countywide services and services for that other neighborhood or those folks way down there. I'd rather keep my money in my pocket. Well, hey, cool idea. Let's form a town. We don't even need to have any services. We just get to get a sixth of our money back and we can like basically just give it back to our give it back to everybody as a tax rebate. Cool. Neat municipal service. Probably not really the incentive you want to create. You know, so so you just take right, take right. dollars out of the those county level services and keep them at home, and then everybody else has to chip in more because you've drawn that boundary. You know, even though you're using stuff like the roads, and even though maybe the, the trash is being picked up or or whatever, you know, you're using the library, you, you're using the health department, you're doing all these things. But let's say, Michael, okay. I feel like I still have a decent argument and I come to you as the county and say, we would like to form a municipality. How does this work from the county and my perspective when I show up and say, we'd like to do this, what do I do? So so right now it's a three-step process that uh, you and your neighbors, once you get, you could, you could pass a petition and say, we've got this idea to incorporate a part of my county and we want to do this, and we've now got signatures from a, a certain share. In current law, it's 25% of the people who live in the area have signed a petition. We're interested in incorporating. You bring that to the county government, which is where you have these considerations of, okay, you know, what are the services that that area wants wants to, to have delivered at the municipal level? Is this something that makes sense with our growth policy, is it is it not going to have those sort of untoward fiscal effects and so forth? So you you have that input from the larger government. If the county governing body then signs off on that plan, it becomes a referendum. So everybody who's in the area proposed for incorporation gets to have a vote and the final say is up to them. So it's just that middle step where the neighbors and the others who might be affected across the county have their say about the arguments for and the validity of this pitch to incorporate. So that's the that's the process in that's the step of the process that was part of the legislation this year, but it's also the part that I think is backed up by why would anyone who doesn't live in the would-be town care? It, it's because of these spillover effects and having the neighbors have some look at this is is what Maryland has set up for decades. 
Right. So it's sort of, you know, I want to do it. I come to you and we go through all the stuff that you've just talked about with public input, with, you know, the people who reside in the county having some input on whether or not this is a good idea, how it would affect them, how it would affect their services. So there has to be that check there, right? People have to have input because, as you've mentioned, there are a lot of spillover effects. So, Michael, there's incorporation. That's how it works now. What about, so So if I'm a municipality and I want to, let's say, I want to annex a certain area, right? I want to, I want to make my municipality bigger. I want to bring in more of mm-hmm. essentially what is unincorporated area, which is the county. I have some leverage there, right? So if I want to do that, I have the leverage. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a similar process for municipal boundaries to expand, to reach out. And and incor- you know basically extend the incorporated area by annexing in. Um, that also requires an approval of the affected landowners. Um, that's not, however, a process where the county government has a direct say. So there are some there are some back and forth checks in that process. But effectively, if you want to get annexed in, if you live just outside of town and you're saying. I'd, I'd like to have municipal water service, or I'd rather have the extra police protection of the municipal police department, that sort of thing. Uh, you can basically work through that process and get annexed into the town. They're the ones who would sign off on it, and then there's a referendum process for the affected, you know, for the affected annexation area. So the county doesn't get a say there. And and again, this is this is an area of some occasional friction between counties and municipal governments, especially when when land use stuff is super hot. Like, you know, real estate market right now is pretty hot, but when it gets super hot, suddenly we'll find folks saying, hey, maybe annexation is my way around these two restrictive county land use controls. But um, so yeah, these are these are two processes that don't come up a ton and not not all that many people understand. But we got into a little bit of that during the the legislative bill hearing. Um, I don't know. It feels like it was six weeks ago, but it might have been three or four days. Right? Anyway, yeah, I think it was even. this week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyhow, it's it's you know one of those topics that that I think is intellectually a little bit interesting, and the idea of well, why don't we do it that way? Well, all right, let's think it through. Well, and Michael, you know, you did get into it in the hearing, and I, I, I don't want to put you back on the spot again, but the question I think that you got, well, why would anybody, why would any county want any more municipalities? You know, like, what is the point? Are you just saying that you don't want it? And that's not the case, right? But the, 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 what the bill proposed would have, would have really just sidestepped some, some of that local county authority here, but that's not the case, right? And, and we can talk a little bit here right now. I don't want to go too long, but that's not necessarily what's going on here. It's just we don't want to upset the, the longstanding structure, right? Right. So I think I, I, I don't think today's process precludes a legitimate incorporation from going forward. I, I, I think if there's an area that, that feels that, I mean, f- f- first of all, I guess I should say there are a number of intermediate steps. If all you want is a special level of service, then there are a number of things you can do short of incorporating and creating your own government structure and so forth. I mean, there are things like special taxing districts where yeah, we right, just want, right. we just, yeah, I just want the trash to get picked up twice a week instead of once a week. Can we do that? 
And if the county says we can't confine just one area to do that and say, okay, fine. How about if we make an area for, you know, accelerated trash pickup and we'll all pay that service in an extra add-on tax? Okay, you know, there are places that do exactly that for one service or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can call yourself a special taxing district and you can function in a lot of ways, more or less just like a town or just like a city, but just have a, a limited plate of services. Um, there are also things called business improvement districts, which can be mm-hmm. just for downtown areas, but the same sort of thing. This is an idea that can bubble up from the residents or from the area businesses to say, we want to do these certain things, and we want that to be part of being in our downtown district. Um, So anyway, it's a circuitous way of saying there's a variety of ways addressing those local concerns. And I, I don't think the current process precludes this really happening. We haven't had uh, a, a new, a true new incorporation for a long time, but it's not like they're illegal or impossible. Uh, I think it's just a matter of there haven't been, like, it's not that we've had 200 applications get filed and all of them are being rejected by the counties who are, you know, just holding on to their, to their, you know, their turf. I think it's a matter of what's the argument for this and where is the county coming up short? Um, That's, that's sort of the threshold question. And, you know, the effects on the surrounding area are, it's the county representation that's supposed to look at that. Yeah, fascinating topic. And I think it was well worth the time to sort of walk through this because I think a lot of people just take it for granted. They don't really think about how this works. We know we have 157 municipalities, 24 counties, but when you break it down a little bit, it's worthwhile. And again, this isn't something that comes up all the time. So there is a bill this year. We'll see what happens there. But it is an interesting debate. And I think you can be on either side and you can make some good points. But Michael, we'll leave it there for today. Anything else you want to wrap up on this issue or anything else uh, before we go ahead and hop off on this, you know, approaching 10 o'clock on Thursday night? (laughs) Um, I'm very rapidly approaching my bedtime, I'll say. Um, uh, So I, I think I've talked myself into this idea of let's sit down next week and, and do at least a segment on the important dates ahead on the legislative calendar and, you know, why they're doing double shifts and why they're into the evening in, in committees and in voting sessions, because what are they looking ahead to? There are some specific dates on each annual calendar that you kind of circle. And I think it'd be worth doing a segment to kind of talk through what those are, why they're important, and why everybody's sort of counting backwards from those specific days. So let's, let's plan to do that next week. We will do that next week, and we will leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Michael Sanderson, Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.